Welcome to the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom, and as ever, on this episode, episode 9, I'm joined by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. You're about to hear us having a right old chat with Layla Johnston, artist, technologist, curator, writer, and plenty more besides. We cover a wide range of topics, including AI, crowdfunding, Sheffield's digital art scene, mermaids, and robot crows. After that, Mel and Chris give their usual updates on all things digital in Sheffield. Ready? We're going straight to the interview. No messing about. Hello, Layla. Hi. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Um, so we're going to go straight in and interview straight away. Um, how would you describe what you do? Well, um, I suppose my main job description, if that's what we're going to do, is uh, <laughs> is uh, that I'm the, the digital art curator or the digital curator at the Site Gallery in Sheffield. And I always say digital art curator, even though the title is digital curator, because I think that makes it clear that I'm not just, you know, putting the archives on CD-ROM or something like mm. that, digital curator. Sounds like an archive you think. Or doing social media. It's, yes, or doing social media, exactly. And I don't, I don't do that at all. So um, yeah, digital curator at Site, I do that part-time. And um, the rest of the time I make my own stuff and also do uh, work for other people involving things like hosting events and giving talks and also writing. I do, I'm do. i a sort of copywriter as well and a journalist. So any anything that I feel like I can do, um, generally in the technology culture overlap space. So I write for... Um, publications like New Scientists and Creative Review and Wired um, about things to do with interesting people and phenomena that are happening in the art tech world and then I also help people with their website copy and things like that and yeah and I get invited to do things at live shows and events sometimes too so so a good range of stuff but generally all in the same sort of area I think Cool. Uh, do you do you find that a frustrating question? No, I, it's a nice question. I just, the reason I ask is because no one says that to an accountant. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of sometimes struggle to say what I do as well because mm. it's not one thing. So mm. I wondered if, if it's quite. You know, we haven't asked that anyone else, for example. Well, I thought. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, I thought. Oh, um, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think it's nice to have an opportunity to properly because because even like, that's what I consider this interview to be about. I sort of thought, well. I'll give you the full full spread. Whereas if it was more like the website, I've just redone my website and I've got on it as the uh, the, the tagline or the strapline or whatever is um, artist, writer, curator, consultant. Those are the four things um, broadly. But I don't think that's enough. <laughs> you need sort of an in-between place. You can't just say those are the things because then people say, okay, come and, you know, paint paint my family portrait. And it's like, well, it's, it's, not, quite, it's not quite the thing. <laughs> you need more detail. <laughs> Um, so how did you get to here? What's your What's your background? I think a lot of people in Sheffield will probably already know some of it, but um, mm. it'd be good to uh, to hear from you how you got to here. Yeah, so my my Sheffield story, I suppose, is um, well, I was working in London as a digital copywriter for an agency, and I was me and me and a friend um, Duncan were put in charge. Well, we 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 were allocated this new thing at, at, in the agency which was um, the labs department and we were told to run the labs so we were expected to come up with uh, products really for the agency because they'd never made a product before and they wanted to start making stuff 
and they knew that me and Duncan made weird things in our spare time anyway and we were always trying to sort of invent things with the with the, te- with the computer with technology and the internet so they, they gave us this job and um, it went really badly like we would just we just get together and have really really brilliant chats and invent loads of stuff and then present to the rest of the group and they would just be completely stony faced and just like what the hell are you talking about we can't make a time travelling robot whatever it was that we'd come up with it was always something really kind of artistic <laughs> and obviously they wanted like as soon as we both left they um, they produced this bouncy ball that taught kids to code and I was like oh, that's, <laughs> that's what they wanted that's the kind of thing not the stuff that we were doing so um, so Duncan went off and, uh, and created an amazing startup in in um, Berlin and then came back and now works at the VNA as their uh, technical lead. Um, so he's kind of gone into the culture world as well. And I started applying for residences to explore the creative side of things a bit more. And um, and I got a residency at the Site Gallery in Sheffield, which was for three months being a technologist in residence as part of this programme created by an agency called CAPER in London who do um, a kind of broker the tech and culture worlds a lot and they create a lot of events that bring those two communities together and a lot of um of residencies and sort of experiments i suppose and this was one of their first ones this technologist in residence program so so i was kind of posted to sheffield um and for three months and ended up really enjoying it and staying here but what we did here um i was i was paired with james jeffries who many of you all know um brilliant technologist in sheffield who already knew um the site gallery and we were um sort of injected into the site gallery for i say for three months and told to um just kind of see how the digital world's culture could influence the the arts world culture and the different sort of pace and and vice versa really too it was to see what, how what sort of effect they had on us and that's why the project was called happenstance because i think it was a sort of a we'll just see what happens it was very open ended so we did things like um we were already thinking about creative technology i suppose and technology from more of an art side so we were we were getting in equipment that we thought they would find interesting and things artists were already using that they might not know about so we sort of demonstrated things like arduino and um we had a drawing robot at one point and we had these um internet enabled thermal printers we did all sorts of experiments with those um and it was just really really good fun and i really thought sheffield was brilliant and i ended up just staying after my three months and i bought a house within six months and i'm still here <laughs> six years later so i never realized that you hadn't had no connection to sheffield before happenstance no i never met james jeffries no. <laughs> actually i met him at the there was like a sort of sandbox um interview workshop thing that we all had to do and yeah. um i think I, I don't think either of us were expecting to get through and then uh, obviously I remember him being so it. excited oh really yeah, I oh, hope he doesn't mind me saying this but. no that's great I remember I remember thinking remembering him because he did a really funny presentation because we all had this sort of I think it was like we were given some sort of problem and we had to sort of workshop it in pairs and I wasn't actually paired with him for that I was paired with someone else um and uh, we had like a flip chart and some plasticine and they gave us all these things to sort I suppose to sort of demonstrate our creative abilities or something I don't know um, and then we had to present to each other and James's was the only one that was funny and he was he was talking about some sort of um I just remember the word pe- penguinification penguinification <laughs> it, was like, it was something about penguins I was like you can't go wrong so I was so pleased so so when um, Rachel emailed me a few days later to say that I've got through she said and we're pairing you with James Jeffries you might remember the penguinification guy <laughs> I was like, yeah I do remember he was the only one I did remember yeah 
Fantastic. As Rachel Caldercutt, who is mm. now CEO of Dot Everything. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's a Dot Everyone. Sheffield. Dot everyone. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Sheffield TEDx video still on YouTube of you and James. There is. You yeah. And James yeah. talking. I may, may, I may not have watched it yesterday <laughs> in, in preparation. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm. Um, yeah, which was hosted by Chris Diamond, we should say as well, and organised by Chris. Yeah. So we, we were, yeah, we had that connection back in the day, years ago. Yeah. yeah, it's the same old Sheffield digital mafia, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, so which which came first? You kind of sort of answered possibly, but which came first, being a, a technologist or being an artist? Well, I d- yeah, it's this thing of like, what what is an artist? I suppose I think I, I've always I've always made things, and it's. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I've always made things. And I've always made things with technology, so it's quite hard to say. Um, I remember writing like text adventure games on my um, Acorn Electron, not mine, my family one, I suppose, in the eighties. Um, so I was and, and trying to create things, and you know, copying programs from the books, and trying to make art, I suppose, in a way. Uh, from that point, but it wasn't so normal to create to create with technology until fairly recently I think so you would sort of use everything else and then suddenly all these interesting things started to be much more available like Arduino and Raspberry Pi and LEDs and you got Adafruit and all these things coming up in sort of the last 10 years so I think most people who are creative were probably creating with a lot of other things before they um, before they had access to the tech stuff um, so yeah I suppose I suppose both of those things kind of concurrently, but um, I, yeah. Also, the the idea of what, how do you how do you know what an artist is? I think that's quite interesting too. I, there's a brilliant video on YouTube um, of some guy whose name I've forgotten, but I do keep I've linked to it today again because I've linked to it a couple of times on from my Twitter account, which is at Final Bullet, and um, it's a, a lecturer and he's talking about creativity and that it, he said creative people are, are not necessarily like everyone else. Um, there are, well, I suppose there's a spectrum of creativity, but if you if you have this problem where you have to make things, he said it's, it is like a curse. And I think if you if you search on YouTube for the curse of creativity, you'll see what I mean. But this has been, this, I mean, this is by way of like a metaphor for the story of my life, I suppose, is that he says that um, if you try and put someone who's got lots of ideas and, and, and a need actually to make stuff, if you put them in a, a conventional or a constrained environment then they start to warp they're like a tree that's been sort of trying you're trying to grow a tree in a box or something it can't do it and it's or it's or it's like a tree in that it's so laden with fruit all the time and you have to keep picking the fruit otherwise it starts to hurt the tree you know um so that's sort of how i feel my kind of creative background has been that i've always sort of used what i've had to hand but it's always been more things i've wanted to make and and uh, and create and so when I have been in situations like doing something, doing a sort of nine to five for a digital agency or whatever it is, I've always been doing so much else at the same time, because it hurts not to, <laughs> um, that it slightly ruined that job. And I, I kind of ended up having to leave in some way. That sounds quite familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people experience this, yeah. So would you say that Sheffield is a good in, good box to be creating in? Yeah, I think it is, and I think it's um, 
I think it's much more open as well. It's not it's not so much like a box. I think London is a bit more like a box in a way. It's much more difficult to get out of London once you're in. So I think people come up with a lot of justifications for being there that are slightly like uh, not really what, what they really think. They, they sort of decide that that must be why they're still there because it's good and they don't really realise that there are other places that are good. But I like, I like that Sheffield is quite porous and in terms of its ideas. It's quite open to people coming in like me without sort of, you know, I grew up on the Isle of Man, which was not, not a particularly open place <laughs> for people to turn up um, as I grew up. I moved there when I was 14 and then... Um, and so I have a feeling of what it's like to be not one of the in crowd or something. But I never felt that in Sheffield. I felt like it was very open to people coming in and going and um, nobody really judged anybody for doing either. It wasn't like, you should be one of us, you should stay here, this is what Sheffield is. So as a result, I suppose Sheffield doesn't have that really strong sort of brand or identity that some other cities do because they pull up the drawbridge a bit more. But I think it has advantages too. That that's nice, porous kind of cultural scene where it's it's a bit more relaxed. It's fine. You can go and do some work in Manchester. You can commute here from here to Leeds. You know, you can have a really nice life, and you don't feel like people think that's odd or they're not judging you or mm. they're not saying you're not really one of us. I think our creatives are respected in Sheffield. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If you if you're here making something, then. You're, you're good to go, I think. Yes, that's city, right, yeah. In a way. Well, that's our whole thing, isn't it? It's this making, which we find so difficult to pin down and articulate, but it resonates with everybody. If you say Sheffield is a place where people make stuff, mm. yeah. and that goes way, way back into our history and will carry on going forward. But then a lot of people who perhaps have the job of trying to explain that don't know how to because if you just say it on its own Sheffield is a place where people make stuff it's like well what does that mean mm -hmm. and in Sheffield we know what it means but outside of Sheffield everybody's like say what mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we collectively we need to take all our creativity and put it to work on that and find a way of articulating what it is we mean and why Sheffield's such a great place to come and make things yeah well I think in Sheffield it's not that we we don't really care what it means like we don't what what it, whatever it is you're making is good. Like, yeah, mm. yeah. It's just the fact that you're making something. It doesn't really matter what it's in. Mm. Um, and if it's difficult to understand, well, that's just you know, folk, folk will be folk, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> that's your problem. If you don't get us yeah. outside world, we're fine in here. <laughs> um, what what's he working on at the moment? Um, as, as ever, a few things. <laughs> um, I'm doing a, a residency with a company, well, an organization called the Panacea Society and the Panacea Trust. Um, and they run the Panacea Museum in Bedford. And the residency they've asked me to do is, uh, the theme of it is AI and apocalypse, because they used to be a religious sect and now they're a research center into new religions and uh, what's called millenarian movements. So, but they have an interest in what's going on and what's relevant and what's happening now. So I think that's why they thought they wanted a technology themed thing. So at the moment I'm doing this residency with them, um, mostly from home. And yeah, I'm making stuff around the idea of AI and apocalypse and sort of thinking about what that means, probably creating a little book. Um, and then in April, I'll do a talk at their conference about what I've been doing. 
So that's one thing. So, is that, yes. so that's a real organisation, not yeah. something that would be in Haxa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think they, they probably thought, who can we get for our AI and Apocalypse residency? And just typed in AI and Apocalypse and my name <laughs> Bang, is scrolled to the top. Times. Yeah, exactly. That's the one we need. Um, because, I mean, we haven't said this, but I, a lot of the stuff I do, I suppose, is um, it's quite kind of <laughs> dark humour uh, technology, apocalyptic technology stuff in a way. And um, so, yeah, so I'm making things for them, um, including a color tracking robot crow that can uh, watch animations by moving its head around. So I'm creating the animations on an LED screen, which is attached to a Raspberry Pi. And then I've, I've got this um, pixie camera. I don't know if listeners know about these, but they're, they're a little uh, color tracking camera that you can buy. And it comes, it doesn't come with, but you can also buy a rotating like um, cradle for it so it can see in every direction and when as soon as I saw it I thought I need to put that inside some sort of animal um, and then it turned out that the story of the organisation that I'm doing this residency for had uh, in the background of this story it's, it's basically about a woman who it's a true story that the woman who founded the organisation believed that she was a, a prophet and she was getting messages directly from God and she had obviously some mental health problems, but one of which was um, that she was very agoraphobic and she, she was very sort of socially odd, I think, as well. And her main friend in the organisation was a crow, a jackdaw. So there's lots of pictures of her with this jackdaw. So I thought, well, I can do something with a crow and, uh, and have some kind of AI resurrection of this crow and we can maybe work something out with that. So that's one thing I'm doing. Um, I'm also making... Um, uh, this is another AI residency I did last year, actually. This has resulted out of, but I'm doing... Um, um, I've, I've got lots of footage of a friend of mine who's a dancer being a mermaid, um, so sw swimming around in a pool under water with a GoPro and from side to side doing different things and just being really amazing and beautiful. So I thought it would be great to have a contained mermaid and maybe make some kind of fish tank for mermaids. Um, so I'm working on a mermaid fish tank, which sounds odd, but I think it's going to be a goer and I think I can sell these things. <laughs> I, feel, I feel bizarrely confident that this is a product. So um, I'm going to make one. And if no one else does ever want to buy my mermaid fish tanks, then I'll, I'll have my own one. And uh, so, yeah. Where, where does that, that confidence come from? I, I say that as a, you know, if I put on my, like, my fiction writing hats, confidence is such a huge, huge thing. And I remember... Lots of times where I've just known that something's been either good or that it would is worth persisting with, but then mm. there are times where I just, I'm, like, including now, maybe that's why I'm asking, but where I just feel entirely unsure. So how, where do you where do you get the confidence mm. to make a robot crow and know that we're fine or a mermaid tango? Well, I think with, with some of these things, they're deliberately experimental. So you sort of do it and you think, well, this is the thing. You know, this is what it is for now. It doesn't have to be anything else. It's not going to be the next big thing, but it works for this. It'll work for the talk and it'll work for the thing I'm doing. Um, as a sort of R&D project the um, yeah the the feeling that you're onto something that's a, that's a really nice one isn't it when you kind of go I think this is a thing um, I don't know I suppose it's you, you sort of you sort of earn it after talking to a few people about that kind of thing or you've seen a few things that are like that and you don't necessarily consciously know why you feel so sure that it's a good thing um, but you kind of it it works out. Sounds, I get it with tweets quite a lot, or with jokes that you think I know that's a really good one and that's going to do really well, and then it does, and and then occasionally you think 
that one that one should have done a bit better and you feel a bit disappointed but mostly um yeah i don't know you get an intuition for it maybe there's nothing more upsetting than a, a tweet that you know is great <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i did one i just remembered one i did last week i had um i went to see the new star wars and i thought it was really good and i thought oh if i say that on twitter everyone will um come back at me with all these complaints about it and it really upset me so i so i did a tweet saying um uh, love the new Star Wars don't at at me you know the thing in Star Wars I thought that was so good and it only got like 10 retweets so I'm, so I'm trying it again now <laughs> get that going again that is satisfying yeah <laughs> that's, nice. that's a good one um, we, we told you we were going to ask you this and I know that you're prepared so I'm going to actually follow through and ask you mm. uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever made I know and you've already heard about the crow um, so that was one of my shortlisted <clears throat> ideas I know that's what I'm going to so we had the crow that, that can watch TV, or that's what I call it. Uh, I'm not actually making it watch TV, but it, it could. Um, so I've got the crow that watch TV. I've got, um, oh, one thing I did a few years ago, I had a friend who I used to collaborate on a lot of really weird things that never really went anywhere, but we just thought they were hilarious. We did this thing with um, Arduino thermal printers where we thought it would be funny to use them for some kind of letters so you because you, so you can um, connect them on the network. These are like little receipt printers, if anyone doesn't know. Um, so we, were, we took it in turns to write letters in character from two Victorian ladies to each other. But not only were they writing in a sort of very kind of flowery Victorian, like emotional prose to each other, they were also writing the content of the letters was um, information about things that had happened in long running TV series of the 20th century. So they were writing about like, oh, did you see young master Bart Simpson do this the other day or whatever? So they were, and it was always a different show in each letter. Um, so you had to kind of read it and then you would go, oh, right, yeah, they're talking about like 24 in this one or they're talking about, it. and it was so stupid, but it really made us laugh. So that was one of the weird ones in the sense of that it doesn't really have any home anywhere it's just ridiculous um and then we also did a, a twitter account called um i'm trying to find the the list i tweeted this morning of my potential weird projects but we did a twitter account called eight bit sex in the city as well which was um each it was the lost episodes of the uh little known uh retro computing new york comedy and um, so every episode was, every tweet was a different episode summary, um, putting the characters into a scenario that involved retro computers in some way, <laughs> but in a believable way and with, actual, with the actual characters. So we had stuff about, um, oh, there was, there was, I can't remember now. There was one about um, one of the characters having a driving lesson and it was like a car from a game or something like they were all that sort of thing one of them had they had printers and one of them had a light gun like from duck hunt and it would everyone had all the stuff in and yeah you'll have to go and find it it's 8-bit s-a-t-c i think on twitter but yeah all of that There's sounds better than the premise for the second actual film that was made <laughs> oh i know <laughs> um can we maybe just go back a little bit about and maybe share something about the process so the kind of tools that you that you use to mm. to make this stuff okay so i i suppose it uh varies a lot <coughs> according to what i'm doing it varies so i've done things with like i had this exhibition at the lowry last year um which was well, i should say installation i suppose rather than exhibition because it was a group exhibition of four artists and they gave us a room each. Um, and for that, 
it evolved from a residency I did at Rombert, the dance company. So that was a real mix of media because I had thermal video of the dancers that I was playing on LED panels. So super bright, really brought the colors out. Um, but the LEDs were, were running off Raspberry Pi. So each LED kind of unit had its own Raspberry Pi. And there were four, I think, of these sort of blocks. Um, so a, a mixture of stuff um, and then normal filming as well. That My favourite one actually was just one that I, again, this is where the mermaid stuff kind of started. That I've, I filmed the dancers from above in a swimming pool um, and I just used normal film for that. So the, there was those things. And then, and then I've always had this interest in kind of the the purity of of uh, older machines as well. And um, I used to talk about eight bit Sex in the City, but like you know, I've still got a BBC Micro, and I grew up with those machines in the eighties. Um, so I still try and do things with those. And like just the other day, I was invited to judge a teletext art competition or something. So I still like I'm kind of on that scene a bit, which is quite nice. Um, and there's some amazing stuff coming out of that. So I like that sort of the constraints, I suppose, like not, you know, I don't, I'm not very interested in exploring the amazing potential of Photoshop or of uh, Final Cut Pro or whatever and using the million different things. I'd rather just use one thing and see what we can get out of that. But maybe that's because I'm not very clever and I get confused. <laughs> we might see too many things. I don't know. Can I just take this in a slightly different direction? Mm. I'm been really really interested in the work that you've been doing around AI mm. and you know been to some of the events and following what you say on Twitter when you quote stuff that's going on and I feel quite strongly that AI is people are really scaremongering about it and it's oh you know it's going to be terrible and all these awful things are going to happen and all these jobs are going to go and I think we're we're right to be aware and to be cautious but I do feel like it's being the whole thing is being tabloidified mm. and is obscuring the things that we really should be talking about what's your take on that yeah it's I think it's um I know the thing you're describing I think I think it's sort of a diversion and it's also probably a misplacement of the real fear that people have at the moment which actually and I'm slightly stealing this because I was talking to my friend Sean Power who's a philosopher who spoke at one of the site gallery events last year actually um, I was talking to him about this as part of my AI residency this week and he was saying that his his theory is that um, people are scared of people and that there's there are so there are a few people who have massive amounts of power in the world at the moment and it's almost too much to confront that truth. So we sort of displace it onto this idea that, yeah, actually all the robots are coming. Well, the, the robots aren't the problem. You know, we've already got these people who have terrible power in the world at the moment. Um, why aren't we, you know, that's the thing we should actually be concerned. So it's like with so much sort of sci-fi stuff, isn't it? That it's actually about something else. So I think I think that's a, a huge problem. Um, yes, there's a lot of scaremongering and it's, it's really boring. Um, and uh, and I, and I find it in incredibly annoying because it's it's headline grabbing and that's I mean this is part of the problem with the internet now that we have to get clicks and if you want to make something you know if you're running a news service you have so much competition and there are so many problems with that you've got to say the most crazy thing mm. to get anybody to notice you so we get this exaggeration of ideas that I don't think we necessarily had before. Um, but I think I mean there's there are obviously there are amazing things happening with AI and I, do, I don't know um, 
I don't know really much about it, about the sort of technical side of it, I suppose. What interests me is more the social side and whether there's something um, about our new interest, we can, whether we can somehow harness this new interest people have in technology in a more positive way. So even if the feeling they have at the moment is fear or confusion or whatever, you can go you can go to them and say, well, you're interested in it now. We can do something with that and then try and turn that into something. So a lot of the stuff I was doing on my residency last year with um, Collusion in, in Cambridge, who are a brilliant organisation that do a lot of things to, to bring art and technology together as well. Um, I was thinking with when I was working with them, I was thinking a lot about the idea that... Um, maybe there's something about technology that's more similar to people without changing it at all you know we don't maybe we're it's really it's hard to explain in sort of 10 seconds but maybe there's something about um humans that is very actually very basic and very physical and there's something about computers which is very basic and very physical and we keep abstracting away from that on both sides and sort of becoming more like a uh, we, we when we think about machines we think about now we think about virtual reality or something that's completely un, unphysical um, but actually computers are still physical they're just smaller and faster and kind of outside of our range but they're still a, a physical thing in the world and so are we um, however much we think about AI or virtual reality we're still a physical being so I think there's something that can there's a kind of mutual physical empathy that between the human and the machine which I find quite interesting and I'm, I'm wondering if that might be a way to actually explore the idea of if we can be empathetic with machines without them looking like humans then maybe we can be empathetic with people who don't look like us so it's like mm. a first step like there seems to be a way we can maybe demonstrate or experiment with machines that will help us relate to other people better so that's a kind of circuitous journey that I've been on do you mean like um like demonstrations of how the machine really works like I'm thinking of the the CPU room at Bletchley Park where mm. you can walk into a room that is an entire C, you know simple CPU represented with lights so you can see mm. the registers and you yeah. can see the screen register and you can see you know the um, ALU and you know all the, the the bits and how it actually operates you can see you know mm. how it works and I, you know, I can imagine, I, I don't know what people feel if they don't know anything about how a computer works walking into that room, whether they get a sense of this is all going on, except it's going on a million times or more than a million times faster. Um, and it's going on in a piece of silicon that's smaller than your fingernail. Mm. Um, but are there other attempts to show the physicality of the computer that you're aware of? Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think there's something about everything that's physical about a computer if you think about how it how it basically works it, or how electricity works even it's it's to do with movement and switches and light and heat and there's a kind of a really basic physical thing you know you can almost make a computer out of, it, out of anything mm. um you can make one in minecraft right you can make, yeah you can make a working one in minecraft. you can make one out of a banana or whatever you know you've seen all these things it's just it's just energy um and it sounds a bit of a, I really don't want it to be a, a weird hippie thing, like, oh, we're just all the same, we're all like the oneness of, but I don't, I don't think that's right. But I think there is something that actually we, we, we do have a problem um, 
the reason one of the reasons we have these weird anxieties about technology now is because we we can't really see that it is just a machine and it is just clicking and moving and it is not only that but it's designed for us to move stuff around and it's you know and that's why I keep talking about old computers and retro machines and things where you can take the bonnet off and really um really have a physical um metaphor for what's going on you know it looks like what it's doing i think that's really useful and even if you don't understand intellectually immediately what's going on it's still somehow more reassuring than this sort of ipad magic mirror <clears> thing <throat> where you have no idea what's happening under the surface <clears throat> but it's but it seems to be in the the cons- the commercial interest maybe to make things that or they've for whatever reason it's trended away from that and we've ended up with these completely magic opaque magic yeah and that also, I guess, extends to the companies as well. So the empathy with, say, Facebook engineers, yeah. knowing that they're just people trying to make machines do what they want them to do. Yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. and all the challenges that we know that goes along with that. There's, and there's so much mystique around these companies as well, like yeah. you say, that it's like they don't want you to know that it's just some bloke going to work or woman going to work. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we tweaked this algorithm and it blew up in our face, you know, yeah. well, you know, it's <laughs> perfectly understandable, yeah. really. So we all need to go out and hug an engineer, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they're just people like us. <laughs> The, so, only, the only question I, that I, we haven't asked is my cheeky one about money. <laughs> I, well, I think uh, Layla wanted to tell us about an event that oh, she's yeah. doing yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. here. The one that we just, Shortly. Don't, don't forget to remind you. Don't forget, you, like yes. all highlighted in yellow Literally and everything. did forget. I know. You Brilliant. just ignored the, yeah, the highlighted. <laughs> <piece of text. laughs> I asked that question as well. You skipped straight over stuff that's underlined. <laughs> I've even got the, yeah, that's right. You do, you, you don't do. look at it because it's highlighted. Um, I've actually got the page open. So as, as I mentioned at the beginning of this chat, I'm... Um, the, the curator, digital curator at Site Gallery. So I'm creating events for them at the moment because the gallery is opening up again in September. And in the meantime, and hopefully after we're open as well, I'm doing monthly, basically monthly events, um, which are going to bring interesting people from Sheffield and around um, into the city to discuss things around art and technology. So we've got the next one is happening at the workstation and it's a collaboration with Tech Parks and um, it's going to be on the 15th of February from about 6, 6.30. So please come. It's going to be, um, just having a look at the thing now, it's going to be Nikki Pugh, who's a brilliant artist based in Birmingham and around there, and she does fantastic things with uh, going through landscapes with sculptures that you can hold and they sort of move at significant places so she does this sort of geolocated site specific um technology emotion sculpture stuff which is amazing she's so so clever and brilliant um and then we've got ben carlin who's the creative director of epiphany vr who is based in sheffield we're very lucky to have him he's only been here a couple of years um so he's he's doing he's going to be talking about some of the virtual reality and, and augmented reality work he's been doing around Sheffield. So that's great. And then we've got another four events and they're all themed roughly around landscapes and different kinds of landscapes and how technology is responding to those or creating them. Um, so that's going to be happening for the first half of this year, all in different locations. Maybe go to sitegallery.org, you'll be able to find the uh, the bits where we've the bit of the website is the website is also under development soon so but at the moment there's a little card that says site sessions the landscape series and you can click through there and get a free ticket to the first one so please come 15th of feb i'll put that in the show notes as well oh thank you yeah um i don't want to sort of spend too much time talking about this but um obviously 
Sheffield's got quite a long history of digital art, um, back to the Love Bites Festival, mm. as you know, it used to be, and um, we have Universal Everything. I think it started in 2003, maybe a bit later than that, I can't remember exactly. Mm. Um, so there's quite a heritage there, um, and it, it feels like there's there's more digital art and digital culture stuff happening in Sheffield maybe now than there was. Do you feel like there's something coming together? Is it something, I, mean, I think it's something that the kind of policymakers should be paying attention to and we should be promoting more. And mm. I'm, I, But I can't tell whether we're any different to any of the other major cities in the UK or whether we really have something that's worth. I don't know, I mean, more. it's hard for me to say. I think, I think we have the potential to. I don't. I can't say I've really noticed a digital art scene. Like you say, we had Love Bites, and then we sort of lost it. I think mm. it went away, and then, and that's a real shame. Um, and if you think about, was it Durham where that Luminaire Festival started, mm. or um, so some, was it Durham? I forget. But um, so that the, there's somewhere in the northeast there was the Luminaire, and then Salford is a massive digital centre now, and, and really good for digital art. Even Coventry's got a lot of stuff going on, and. Um, Sheffield I do worry about a little bit in that way though I do I think it's great that we've got access space and almost single-handedly Alex is trying to make that happen and do yeah. his festivals and stuff which is great um, but yeah I think we've got people like Ben Tews here yes yeah there are there are a few um, I hope that it's it's hard to say because I don't I don't I suppose there isn't really a scene like we don't have a digital art meetup or yeah. you know we don't really have festivals anymore we know each other through various things but we don't kind of hang out necessarily um yeah so it, maybe we are maybe there's more there than there seems to be but we're not very connected maybe that's yeah. the problem i don't know i mean would, would you want to be i don't know you know the fact that you, there isn't a meetup mm. or there aren't you know regular things is and there's, well there's no exhibition space really no. either that's another so, thing so that, yeah so, that's, so i've seen you on on um on Twitter a few times saying I've got these pieces lying around my house does anybody yeah. want this for their foyer or yeah. just you know yeah um, and nobody takes and, and no, and I see you like oh what, you no. still haven't got rid of that that's awesome like yeah. if I had the space if I yeah. was a firm with a, with a foyer I'd definitely want that up I know that. it's really hard to shift this stuff it's funny we should do something yeah. about that so <laughs> if, if there's anybody listening who's got some empty space even if it's only temporarily so mm. and would like to host a digital art exhibition oh then we can make that happen. Yeah. So get in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with Layla mm. and various other people and we will galvanise the network and we will make it happen because I think it would be awesome and I would love to go to a digital mm. art exhibition. What would it take to bring Love Bites back? Mm. Oh, now, now you're entering the scary world of funding. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might, I mean, I should say, though, I mean, I, I think I'm the first digital art curator in Sheffield. Yeah. And so that's a positive thing that something might well, be changing. The site gallery is reopening. And it Sites reopening. Like it could become uh, yes. the kind of de facto. And, and Laura has a keen interest in science and technology and is definitely interested in commissioning more stuff along those lines. So... Yeah, and maybe the site gallery will become the place and we'll have some sort of regular digital meetup. That'd be good, actually. That we would be awesome. Make that happen because we'll have a huge space when it opens in September yeah. mm. and several spaces, actually, lots of different rooms and gallery spaces. So, yeah, that could maybe maybe in September it'll, ha it'll all start to happen. I want to know what your question was about money. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was only, it's, it's, it wasn't that cheeky, really. Mm -hmm. It was more um, 
as a as an artist or of, of any kind really mm. then you're very often relying on having made something and then you hopefully get paid for it mm. or uh, residencies or commissions mm. that kind of thing so i guess i was wondering um if you'd considered using i mean kickstarter obviously but also something mm. like patreon just for an, an ongoing project just so you can mm. see so you kind of take the worry of income and just focus on the arts if you just yeah just your thoughts yeah. on those things really I think those I think crowdfunding works really well if you have a crowd so if you have a, a massive fan base um, for whatever reason then you can do very well very quickly through that or if you're not asking for very much money um, that can work well too so that for the, those are the main reasons why I haven't tried it or had any success with it because I don't really have a um, an audience I suppose or fan base but um yeah, I, I'm not against it exactly. I think it's a little bit like self-publishing though as well, where I feel like if you're good, like for me, I, I sort of, I don't know. It's, I don't have any, again, I don't have any problem with anyone self-publishing because it's very satisfying to create a, a book. But for me, it's much more satisfying to have somebody approach you and say, you know, I believe in you. Um, I'm a, I know what I'm doing. I'm a publisher. I can do all this. And you've got that sort of level of, uh, confidence from a, an authority I suppose that comes in and, and helps you and believes in you so yeah fun, crowdfunding not for me but certainly seems to work for a lot of people seems to be a nice idea people people in the certainly in the digital world often have a disposable income that they like to put towards they often have a very kind of charitable mentality about it and they do like to donate money to things and a couple of times I've had donation pages um, on things I've made and people have put quite a lot of money into them and it's been quite surprising so it's always appreciated when people do that but then I always feel awkward that I can't return that because I haven't got this huge income where I can say yeah I'll give you a thousand pounds to just some lovely thing that I like but um, I, I yeah. think that's why I, the Patreon way of doing things I think that's why I find that more interesting because like a middle ground between I, mean, I agree with you entirely about uh publishing and, and self-publishing again i feel like i always have to do the disclaimer not that there's anything but the idea of people uh, having a group of people who support you for a particular project mm. when you say i'm doing this and it's just like a monthly thing and it's like one or two pounds i think i feel like that's somewhere in between but I'm, yeah i'm not quite re reconciled all with myself either but i just wonder, yeah i should have a look at it again yeah i think at the moment i mean yeah, I, I don't really have a thing about having to make money just through art, I suppose. And, I, and maybe some people do. People who have more like laden trees of creative fruits that they have to get rid of. Um, but I, I'm happy to, you know, I do have a thing about making enough money every month for sure. But I do that through so many different routes um, that might be, you know, I might get a few thousand for doing a conference talk and then I might get... Um, you know, a, a series of columns for an agency that might also pay really well and those kind of things. And then if you have a slightly fallow couple of months, it's okay because you've kind of stacked up a few good ones. So, and then and then those are the time, I suppose, that where you can make things and have the freedom of experimentation again, which is important. You need these like lulls too to let yourself have the, you know, the, sp the creative space in your head, don't you sometimes? Yep. Okay, that was it. All right. That wasn't too cheeky, was it? <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> wasn't yeah. cheeky at all. Uh, thank you yeah, for coming. Really yeah, great. that was excellent. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, I'm glad it was, it was all right. It was great. <laughs> it was fun. There you go. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Layla Johnston. The next section of the show is us talking about what's happening in Sheffield.
And the first item is the Tech Nation 2018 survey and subsequent report. I'm recording this in the future. We recorded the following conversation in the past, which means that the deadline for submitting survey entries has now been and gone. But I've left this in because I think it's worth knowing why we think it's so important. And uh, fingers crossed when the report comes out, everybody submitted entries. Right, so we're going to do some um, some catching up with things that are happening um, in the city. First of all, um, the Tech Nation survey. Um, we really, really want as many people as possible to uh, to do it. Mel, do you want to tell them why? So uh, Tech Nation publishes a report every year that focuses in on different tech clusters around the UK, so not just London. And this will be the third year that we've done it. And each year, Sheffield has kind of grown in profile in the report and we need to keep that momentum going we need to stay high on people's radars we need to show them what's happening in and around the city the reason this is important is that the report is a go-to document for policymakers regionally and nationally and also the media pick it up a lot so it's a really good way to make sure that people know that there is a tech scene here in Sheffield and it's growing You've got until Wednesday the 7th to complete the survey. The survey literally only takes five minutes. It's very simple. It's a form online. And um, at the moment, we I've had an email just now saying we've had 69 responses from Sheffield. Now, last year we had 80. So we need to get over 80. We need to be increasing year on year. So if you haven't completed it, it'd be brilliant to get to 100. If you haven't completed it, please take five minutes. You can find the link from the blog on our website. If you have completed it, then tell all your friends to complete it. Tell the other companies you know to complete it because it does actually make a difference. So something else that's been um, has gone live recently is the Sheffield Digital Skills Action Plan website. Um, now this is not a Sheffield Digital thing. We um, totally support it and we are helping with it. But it's been led by um, Sheffield City Council and CERO, the Digital Skills Consultancy in the city, and they're using it as a place to bring together all the information about the different digital skills initiatives that are going on in the city. Particularly at the moment, those aimed at um, children, young people, and families. But we hope that that will grow and uh, also cover. Um, I was going to say more grown-up skills, but that, you know what I mean. It's not exactly that, but it's yeah, fantastic. Lifelong learning. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Chris. <laughs> lifelong learning, people. Um, the great thing about this is that this has been just pulled together on a shoestring. It's not a massively funded thing. And yeah. the idea is that it's kind of a portal, a gateway, and it links out to other places. It's it's. I'm so pleased that it's that it's been turned into a website because it's been kind of a, a shoddy draft Google Doc for the last 18 months. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked um, to the council and to other agencies and CERO about the digital skills provision across the city. And there's all, there's all these little initiatives going on, all of, all of which are, uh, you know, really underfunded, um, and, but they're having a, a big impact. And when you look at it as a whole and bring it all together, it really, um, it, it really shows how much provision there is in Sheffield. And I think Sheffield is, is kind of, um, you know, a long way further ahead than, than some other cities and, and the credit it's given, really. Um, when we, you know, it's one of the reasons that Google came here and other, other policymakers that um, uh, we've engaged with in, in, uh, uh, in, in London 
you know, when they when they look at the provision, they're quite surprised that there's so many things going on, and to see it all on a website like that is, mm. is great. So, um, but it's it's quite fragile everything. So we're probably we're going to see if there's ways that we can get it supported a bit better, and you know, supported by the public sector and the powers that be better, but also by the private sector a bit. Yeah. So uh, check that out and. Um it is very much a work in progress. So if you have suggestions of things that should be on there that aren't, then again, let us know and we can feed that through. Mm. I was Actually, I was talking to um, Rob Walker at Geek Breakfast this morning and they there's a new family digital learning day coming up. They do these a few times a year, usually at Hillsborough College. Um, and it's got bigger and bigger each time. And they've they put they put um, the Eventbrite up um, less than two weeks ago, like sometime last week. And they've got 200 tickets going for wow. this one. So it's the biggest they've ever done. Um, and it's sold out. That's it's amazing. It's sold out already, yeah. which is just shows how much reach and demand there is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. Okay. And there's uh, there's some more action plans. There's a, yes, okay. So, um, meanwhile, plan, yeah. back at Sheffield City Region, you've heard me talk about this before. This is the um, Local Enterprise Partnerships Digital Action Plan, which was finally published last week. Um, and uh, I posted it in our Slack um, and we'll also be trying to get a blog post together about it. Mm -hmm. So this was um, a piece of research that was commissioned um, and the- uh, A year ago. A year ago. Um, and um, a consultancy called SQW won the tender. Um, a lot of you went out um, and met with them or stayed home <laughs> and met with them um, and also came to workshops and that kind of thing. So long story short, it's been published. Uh, there is two volumes. One is all of the research and the other goes into detail on the recommendations. I confess I have only read the executive summary. The recommendations are, I think, useful. Um, there's nothing particularly groundbreaking or brand new there, but it's really good to have everything pulled into one place. The million dollar question is what happens next? It's one thing to have a report with some good recommendations in it, but it's about how do we make those things happen? So I wrote to my contact at the LEP and I said, that's great, what's next? And his reply was, next is to look at how we can deliver the recommendations. I'm having internal budget discussions and the plan is on the LEP board agenda. We're planning a workshop with partners and I will be engaging with individual agencies to find out how we can work together. We don't have to wait for the mayoral election, but there won't be any significant amounts of funding until we have completed the devolution deal. Mm -hmm. And that I think is the kicker. Mm -hmm. So um, as I learn more about workshops with partners and that kind of thing, I will try and share that around. But at the moment, I think it's a, an open question about what's going to happen. At least it does look like the Devo deal is going to be done increasingly. Of some like some kind or other, it's yes. It's not gonna just, you know, hold out for a one Yorkshire. Yeah. I think they're gonna yeah. they're gonna go with a Sheffield City region deal at some point yeah. as an interim at least. But absolutely. I mean the fact that we essentially lost thirty million pounds last year yeah. and are at risk of losing another thirty million this year yeah. is in my personal view negligent. Absolutely inexcusable. And I'm not going to start on a rant because it'll be another hour. Mm. So 
pro the, the recommendations are promising from the report. Uh, we're going to look at it in more detail next week and, and put some blog posts up about it, um, just to summarise what, what is being suggested. Um, I guess from from our point of view, if you were going to say something about policy, it's that we want to make sure that um, policymakers and the and the other industries um, understand the value of having a, a vibrant tech and digital industry in its totality. In its totality, um, not just as an adjunct to advanced manufacturing, yeah. or not just uh, in the ways that it um, fits in strategically with um, you know the the overall direction of economic policy in this part of the world. Mm. Um, it's more significant than that, and it affects too many industries not to be that. Absolutely. Okay, so Chris, uh, you had a very special visit last week from, from a Chinese... I did, yeah. Well, yeah, you personally. <laughs> yeah, we were contacted um, back in November originally by an organisation called Sinobridge, um, who, they're like a the Chinese government agency that organised training visits um, between, the, between the UK and China. And there was a delegation of senior statisticians and uh, you know, economic um, economists um, from China, so from the, the Chinese equivalent of the Office for National Statistics and senior statisticians and directors from or the kind of um, provincial or regional um, statistical offices. Um, they were over on a three-week three training visit to the UK and they were spending a week in Manchester and they contacted us to say they'd like to meet Sheffield Digital to have an exchange of information and, and learn how we um, look at and categorise and measure the, the, the tech industry here. Um, and we kind of thought, well, that's, you know, that's not not that useful for us, maybe, um, or it's, you know, it's a lot of stuff to kind of organise. Um, but then I kind of thought, well, it's it's not often you get to meet people like this, and it's really interesting. It would be really interesting to find out what the Chinese, how the Chinese view the, this economy, and how they how they look at it. So we said yes, um, uh, and arranged a date. And then they said, right, there's 18 people arriving in a coach <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Um, and I said, well, we, don't, we have nowhere to put them. Um, so I spoke to the guys at, um, at Creative Sheffield, Sarah Lowy Jones, and um, and they had the, the council rolled out the red carpet a bit. So we had a we had a reception um, in the the Lord Mayor's parlour, and the um, right honourable Lady Mayor um, welcomed the delegation. And there was an exchange of gifts and lots of photographs. And then we uh, we had one of the council rooms, one of the conference rooms at the, at the town hall. Um, for our, the proper meeting um, and it was really interesting we've got a blog post um, that we've kind of written describing it um, with more in, more info about what we learnt and how it all went and everything and it was it was an opportunity also to kind of do a quick um, presentation of, of the the tech and digital industry in Sheffield and, and you know and what we think needs to happen and how we measure it and what, what we regard as important so that'll be in the blog post as well so look out for that Tell everybody about the gift. The gift, well, my gift. Yes, your uh, gift, because this well, is lovely. I no, I, well, I wasn't. I really wasn't expecting it, but um, I was presented with a um, like a presentation book of Mongolian stamps and landscapes at the end of it. Had they been <laughs> checking your eBay records? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I hope you like stamps. I'm like, what? And yeah, they had this. The, the lady mayor was, was given this sort of big scroll, like hand-painted Chinese scroll. Wow. Um, but yeah, luckily, um, 
Creative Sheffield had prepared goodie bags for everybody and gifts to give back because mm. I didn't even really think of that. <laughs> it was lovely to get a, to get a gift. Yeah. So time to go through our list of upcoming events. We should say that um, on the blog in the last week or two since we recorded, we've published um, a blog post that explains how to get your event onto the Sheffield Digital Calendar. It's very straightforward, but there's a blog post now that explains how it all works, so that'll be in the show notes. Um, And we've also put together um, a a Google slide, which has got a list of upcoming events that I'm keeping maintained, and people can go and take that slide. And if you organize a meetup, you can put that slide at the end of your own presentation to kind of share the love and tell everybody um, about other people's meetups. Um, So coming up, um, on the 15th, it's going to be the, the MD Club, where they're going to be talking about making innovation everyone's business. Um, so look out for that. Uh, then we have, this is all on the Sheffield Digital Calendar, by the way, so you can go and check out more about all of this, all of these events uh, on there. 21st of February is Code Up Sheffield. 22nd is Agile Sheffield. And on the 8th and 15th of March, it's the Connected Manufacturing Workshop. Right, so um, this follows on from the um, visit that Sheffield Digital organised last year where a bunch of digital companies went up to Factory 2050 at the AMRC to see about the work that they were doing there. And lots of people who went on that spoke to me afterwards and said that they were really interested in finding finding out more about manufacturing what goes on in a manufacturing business, what are the problems that they face, what are the sorts of things that digital could perhaps get involved in solving. So as a result of this, the Sheffield Innovation Programme, which is the joint thing between the two universities in the city, have pulled together a two-day workshop, so it's on the 8th and the 15th of March, where they're bringing in Um, a bunch of researchers and academics, but also real-life manufacturers to talk about the applications of digital in manufacturing, the sorts of problems that manufacturers are facing, um, and to provide an opportunity for digital businesses locally to get first-hand knowledge about what's going on in manufacturing and have the opportunity to talk about how you might be able to address those challenges. Um, The workshop also includes a visit to a manufacturer so if you've never been into a manufacturing business or it's been a while since you did it's a really good opportunity to go and have a visit and there's networking and all those sorts of things so I would highly recommend if you're in the least bit interested in either expanding your business into manufacturing or doing more business in manufacturing that you take advantage of this it's completely free and I think it will be well worth doing and I think that just leaves us time to uh, thank our members as always Uh, thank you for supporting Sheffield Digital we have um, a couple of new members I think since the last time we published an episode Um, correct me if I'm wrong but we have uh, Robert Moore um, Afadita Pakrami and Emma Cooper, who have all signed uh, signed up for individual memberships. Yeah, and Rob's actually been a member since very early on. He has. He's just yeah, renewed, and we re- really appreciate his ongoing support. Yeah, that's Thanks, my Rob. fault for getting confused by the website slightly. But uh, yep, thank you to all of uh, you guys, um, and uh, thank you to our sponsors too. So um, we'll give them a quick name check. We've got Shorts, 
Sheffield College, North Coders, uh, Benchmark, and Erwin Mitchell. That right? Yes, it is. It's <laughs> we haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> so it's not officially on our website yet, but the uh, latest sponsors to come on board are Erwin Mitchell, and there will be lots more news about that as and when they respond to the questions that we sent <laughs> hey, them. That's, that's <laughs> excellent news, though. That exclusive is for people who got to this far in the podcast, I yeah. think. Yes. <laughs> Special reward. <laughs> Easter egg. If you want to subscribe to the show, and you absolutely must, then you go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, um, or whichever app you fancy. Um, uh, you can find out more at sheffield.digital slash podcast, where we publish all of the episodes too. And uh, please spread the word. If you work in Sheffield at a digital agency, or you work on your own, or wherever you are in any capacity, uh, give the person next to you a nudge and explain what the heck it is you're listening to. And uh, I think that's it. Until next time. Thanks Bye for now. Bye.